Hill Church exists to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. Throughout Lent, we've been in a sermon series that's deconstructing religious stories that give rise to bad news, misogyny, bigotry, and tribalism in Jesus' name. But rather than concluding in deconstruction, this series has attempted to reimagine these same stories so that they more thoughtfully and reasonably cohere with Jesus, who declares, the favor of the Lord upon you. This morning, we'll conclude this series by considering the inauguration of divinity, which is very much connected to expectations. Expectations. A strong belief that something will happen. Expectations. A strong belief that we know what's going to be the case in the future. When Jen and I decided to get married uh, years ago, we went to see a therapist for several weeks to talk about being married. We took tests and addressed personalities. We talked through how to fight well, and we observed some of our similarities and differences. It was really helpful. Perhaps most helpful was our conversation about expectations. Our therapist said something like, the more in line you can be regarding expectations, the fewer problems you'll have. And so we were told, overly discuss your expectations. What are you expecting from this day? What are you expecting from this time tonight with friends? What are you expecting from this forthcoming conversation or this upcoming vacation or the next week? What are you expecting? Those conversations have been really helpful. When we take the time to align our expectations, we tend to have fewer problems. And when we do have problems, we usually experience them together because our aligned expectations result in both of us feeling disappointed or frustrated or whatever the resultant feeling is. But sometimes our expectations are off. Years ago, when Jen and I were first together, we decided to have a picnic at a river. I said, oh, I've got, I've got a great spot. And Jen was like, wonderful, let's go. And so we did. We packed the food, we loaded the car, and we drove to the river. We parked, we grabbed the food in a blanket, and we walked down to the sandy river to be met by everything that I was expecting. Tons of people, loud music, Lots of really cheap beer that you could smell wafting all the way up to the car at the road. And of course, murky, sandy water. (laughs) Can you feel the problem beginning to build? I was walking down toward the river when I noticed that I was walking by myself. I looked back and Jen was standing up by the path. And so I walked back to her and I asked if everything was okay. She said, this isn't what I was expecting. I said... I thought we wanted to go to a river. She said, this is not a river. 
<laughs> I said, this, this is a river. It's called the Sandy River. She said, this is not the kind of river I was expecting. <sighs> There's that word again. And so frustrated and getting more warm and more sweaty by the minute, we took time to talk through our expectations only to realize that when we use the word river, we actually have two very different experiences in mind. I grew up going to the Sandy River. Jen grew up going to the Salmon River. <laughs> now, here's the thing. These rivers both have water flowing downward. <laughs> but the place that I always went to was loud and chaotic and fun, while the place that Jen always went to was quiet and peaceful and serene. And so it became clear that not only... That we not only had two different rivers in mind, but we had two different experiences in mind. One like that of a frat party, the other like that of a tea party. Oh, expectations. Expect a tranquil day that ends up busy and there's disappointment. Expect to accomplish many things, but only accomplish a few things, and there's frustration. Expect a long and healthy life, but receive a short and unhealthy life. And there's, as there ought to be, tremendous bitterness. Expect God to show up in the darkest moments to save us from the horrors of a war or of a famine or of a pandemic. But the war or famine or pandemic rages on. And there is, rightfully so, a kind of existential crisis. Where are you, God? Don't you care, God? When will you save us, God? Now, to be clear, I'm not trying to say that expectations are foolish or somehow morally wrong. They're not. Expectations, I think, make us wonderfully human. Expectations point to our everlasting hope in all that is possible, in the bad being usurped by good. Oh, but as the proverb says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And this makes me wonder how many of us are sick today. How many of us have expectations for the divine to act, to behave, to save, only to find that the divine is not acting, not behaving, and not saving in ways that satisfy our very tender hope? Well, I guess it depends on what our expectations are of the divine. In this morning's reading from the Hebrew Scriptures, we heard a story read about King David in which he's leading a procession. In the procession is the ark of the Lord, the very presence of God. It's being carried up, up through the streets and into the city. King David is, is dancing and all of Israel is lining the streets and we are told that they are shouting as he processes before them. To use language from today's gospel reading, perhaps they were shouting words like, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Because that, you know, is Hebrew for deliver us. And perhaps, of course, I don't know, but perhaps they were waving palm branches because you know that represents victory. Can you see it? As the ark of God processed before their very midst, as their king danced before their very eyes, their hearts were filled with divine expectation. We, we are safe. We are secure. All is good. And so they shout Hosanna until their voices are hoarse and they wave palm branches until their arms feel like they'll fall off of their bodies. 
And this, you see, is exactly what throngs of Israelites had in mind as Jesus entered into their city on a donkey. I mean, they weren't certain Jesus had yet to be inaugurated as king, but make no mistake about it, an inaugurated king is exactly what they expected. Their hearts were filled with divine expectation. We will be safe. We will be secure. All will be good. Now, we don't know much about the inauguration of the earliest Caesars in Rome. Uh, We do know that they had to be confirmed by the Senate. And about Julius Caesar, Cicero explained, Caesar sat on the speaker's stage wearing the purple toga of a triumphal triumphant general, seated on a golden chair, wearing a laurel wreath of victory upon his head. Confirmation of political leaders, surrounded by the military, wearing a purple garment, a laurel wreath on the head while sitting on a golden chair. Can you see it? With this picture of Caesar in mind, we fast forward from Palm Sunday to Jesus' week of passion. Rather than have his feet washed by his subjects, like a Caesar, Jesus washes the feet of those who follow him. Rather than a feast prepared in his honor, like a Caesar. At his last meal, he declares, this, this feast is, it's my body broken and it is my blood shed. And rather than being confirmed by the Senate as the next Caesar, the political leaders hand Jesus over to the military. And rather than being honored with a purple robe and a laurel wreath upon his head, like a Caesar, Jesus is draped with a purple robe, crowned with thorns and mocked king of the Jews. Rather than being processed through the city to cheers and adulation like a Caesar, Jesus carries a cross of horror through the city and up a hill. And rather than being seated on a golden throne like a Caesar, Jesus is pinned to a tree. You see, Jesus' passion is an intentional polemic against the Caesar. This story is the undoing of divine expectations. Hosanna, deliver us, son of David, our king, palm branches, victory. Deliver us, O king, bring about peace through victory. This was the Palm Sunday expectation. Jesus, become a bigger, better, more powerful and violent Caesar that overthrows this Caesar so that we might get our peace. And yet that's not how it goes, according to this story. Crucified on a cross, Jesus, the Son of God, came to save the world, not through more and more and more violence, but through surrender and generosity and sacrifice that declared, let the peace begin with me. And the creation shakes and the religious curtain splits in two and the soldier bows and the thief confesses and a story about a new kind of king inaugurating a new kind of kingdom that embodies peace is set loose in the world. We read these words in Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. 
And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. Now, just for a moment, remember how the lion has conquered through self-giving. Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb. You see, the lion we think that the world needs is actually a lamb. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God's saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing. To the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You see, our divine expectations are almost always for the lion. The lion, the lion strong, the lion mighty, the lion violent, the lion all power and dominion. And yet, in this Jesus story, these divine expectations are turned upside down as we come to see that the lion is the lamb. The lion is the lamb. Bomb them, shoot them, kill them. No, no, no. No, the lion is the lamb. Judge them, incarcerate them, forget about them. No, the lion is the lamb. Protect ourselves, keep them out, build up walls. No, the lion is the lamb. And when our kings and politicians fail us, disappoint us, madden us, and we think, die, king, kill that king. Or when when that king's followers believe in his rule and reign, and we think, bad people, terrible people. Well, it's then, especially then, that we so quickly forget that the lion is the lamb. It's then that we slip back into that human proclivity for a king like all of the other kings. Only this king, always this king who is for us, will bring about our peace through violence toward others. Always others. 
But you see in the apocalypse, this way of seeing it all is always and forever the opening of seven seals and the blowing of seven trumpets and the pouring out of seven bowls of wrath. It is simply patterns on top of patterns on top of patterns and times on top of times and histories on top of histories and sevens on top of sevens on top of sevens. But you see, Jesus' inauguration is not like the inauguration of other Caesars. Even though he is draped in a robe and crowned and processed through the city, we are being told the lion is the lamb. For as the apocalypse tells us, they will sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slaughtered and by your blood you ransomed for God's saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth. War, famine, pandemic, pain, sorrow, anguish, and death. We are sick. Sick with expectations for the divine to act, to behave, to save. But you see, we're sick with unfulfilled expectation because of our divine expectations which are being usurped, especially now during this most holy week. We are learning through the Jesus stories to expect a different kind of divinity who joins every person upon crosses of pain, sorrow, anguish, and death. Who looks at our lives and at this world with that tender, knowing, compassionate, and understanding look and who breaks and bleeds and is crushed and dies along with all of us. And in the death of divinity, which is to say, in our deaths, every single one, our hearts are learning to break with those who break. Our lives are learning to join with those who bleed, and our processions are fused with every person who bears a cross up a hill until every cross is beaten into a loving plow that produces food for all who are hungry, freedom for all who are in bondage, healing for all who are sick, and favor, truly favor upon every person. Not through violence and might, but through bleeding hearts moved by love that ensures goodness for every person until all is truly good. That, you see, is good news. That, you see, is gospel. And that is Jesus' invitation during this week of passion as we follow him once again into the subversion of our divine expectations. The lion is the lamb. Solidarity in suffering increases compassion. The experience of deaths, every death has the opportunity to enlarge our hearts. And the expectation of the divine with us always with us intensifies our unyielding hope that even this, whatever this is today, may be transfigured into new life tomorrow. And let us pray. Divine goodness, we often expect power and might, sticks and stones, Caesars and kings to bring about justice and peace. Yet in Jesus, we are learning to surrender to give away mercy, and to stand in solidarity with all who suffer.
We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. Mm-hmm.